Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest is Will Chafee, adventurer, Apple employee and author of Swimming with Crocodiles. Will obviously survived his swim, so welcome Will. Thank you, Maggie. It's good to be here. Um, before we begin talking, it'd be great if you could just read a little bit from the book to give the listeners uh, a feel for your wonderful prose and just a sense of what the book's about. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's about an expedition out into uh, Western Australia, out into Kimberley. Uh, it was a two-man expedition. Um, uh, it took two months. Uh, some would say it was probably ill-conceived, <laughs> but, uh, but we did it anyway. Um, I can read um, from the flight from Wyndham, which is where we, uh, we originated. We took a bus to Wyndham and then... Um, I took the uh, mail plane out to uh, to the drive over station and uh, and started walking from there. But but this this passage I'm going to read here is just us getting to to the aerodrome at Wyndham. So uh, chapter 17, the flight from Wyndham. Jeff and I walked the last six kilometers to the airfield with our backpacks and the roll of maps. We didn't talk much. The only sound was that of our boots scattering stones across the hot tarmac. Floating towers of cloud rose in the distance, massive silent infusions of solar energy vaulting 20,000 meters into the sky, scraping the top of troposphere. Tropical storms in northern Australia are the most intense and violent on the planet. A sign with an arrow said, Aerodrome. A two-story house rippled in waves of kerosene heat on one edge of the runway. The tarmac stretched to the base of some low rocky hills. At the near end sat a tin hangar. Where are the planes? Must be inside. All the doors were locked. There was not a breath of wind. The house had a covered veranda on three sides and probably a public telephone booth. I had to admire those engineers from telecom. I put down my pack on the veranda on the edge of nowhere. I hope there's a water tap out here. I found one on the side of the house and refilled my canteen with chalky artesian bore water. Water was now almost as vital as oxygen. Four liters of water weighs four kilos. We went through more than a liter per hour. It was impossible not to. In this heat, even the trees tried to hide from the sun. Several species have evolved to turn their crescent leaves edge on to the sun. Behind the runway stretched an empty country of red rocky hills and green and and yellow eucalyptus. Today was our last day in civilization, our last few hours. After this flight, our journey began on foot. Anvil-shaped clouds, 20 kilometers tall, drifted silently toward us in the afternoon sun. I watched from the veranda, awed. We walked for our own reasons. This will be our last route for a while, I said. The white columns moved slowly across the afternoon. Black rain enameled their undersides. I counted silently for the thunder after each flicker of lightning, 300 meters for each second. The lightning was still several kilometers away. After tonight, we would have nothing over our heads but the space blankets we carried. The fabric reflected body heat and was waterproof, but it would not make for a comfortable camp in a downpour. It occurred to me that we should have brought at least a rain fly. Jeff and I busily prepared our beds, sleeping pads, a tin sheet, a space blanket, and a mosquito net. He picked one side of the veranda and I chose the other, thinking that someone should be around to do CPR if one of us were struck by lightning. On the veranda, the yellow light of the telephone booth was the only beacon in an immense, humid darkness. A cable connected 
to a single telephone pole 20 meters away and disappeared into the distance toward town. Insects were drawn to the light by the thousands. A giant green tree frog stuck with suction cut feet to the glass. Should I make one last call home before I headed into the bush for two months? I decided not to. No one could understand where I was right now. The cloud approached suddenly like the hissing comber of a wave breaking over our heads. Bolts of lightning enfiladed the ridge at the end of the runway. In the flashes, the colors of broad daylight returned, the greens and whites of the eucalyptus leaves and trunks, the red sandstone in the distance. I looked for somewhere to run, but there was nowhere. Instantly, the temperature dropped. Rain raced across the ground in a beaded curtain. Water spilled off the eaves in steel torrents. Crack. Lightning struck a tree on the ridge at the far end of the runway. I counted the seconds before the peal of thunder. One, two, six hundred meters away. The giant green tree frog stuck to the glass in the telephone booth, eating insects. If there was a likely place for a strike, it was right here. Jeff unrolled his sleeping mat and got his kit together. He turned away from the light of the phone booth. My God, you're not actually going to sleep, are you? Why not, he said. We've got a long day tomorrow. I stood in bare feet with my uncertainties. We're going to have long days for the next two months, I thought. Rain was driving almost horizontally into the veranda. Jeff didn't have a family that would miss him if he didn't come back, or if he did, he never spoke of them. I didn't want to disappear out in the bush like Dave Sachs or any of the others. It was all very real now. There was still a little time to change my mind. I didn't have to ride the mail plane tomorrow. No one was making me do this. I had known Jeff since my first day in Manila. Was that, but was that enough to know the limits one might be pushed to after two months together in the wild? I watched a stricken tree burn in the rain. One of us could actually die out here tonight. I counted silently after each flicker of lightning. One, kaboom, the thunder rolled off. Crack, a streak of white etched a line of light from the top of the nearby telephone pole to the sky. I was lifted off my feet by the thunderclap. Bright sparks flew from the shattered insulators at the top of the pole. That was close, Jeff shouted, sitting up. The storm raced over us, leaving the runway under several centimeters of water. By midnight, the thunderclouds had swept back out to sea. We listened to the sound of distant thunder. The tree frog was gone. Um, should I continue, or...? Oh, we can stop there. That, that was lovely. Um, I, I love the way that you bring sort of the inner world of your sort of discovering as you're moving along with the outer world of what you're actually doing. Did, did you struggle to come up with a narrative voice to work through the book? Uh, it, it, it did take a while to figure out what what would sort of underlay the entire narrative, yeah. And, and, and it was difficult, too, to uh, decide what it was going to be in terms of was it a straight narrative, was it going to be chronological, um, you know, how much of my inner sort of emotions was I going to, was I going to write about. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was a difficult part of the, of the process, for sure. Mm. And, and do you feel a little bit, um, how do I put it, um, like the older, wiser, Will, looking back at that um, that person who's just at the start of his adventure, do you almost feel a bit sorry for him? He has no idea what he's about to get into, and maybe you envious know, too. I, I, yeah, probably probably at this point, I had a little envious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, freedom, uh, no no responsibilities really. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't married, I didn't have kids. Um, uh, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, there were certainly there were lonely times out there too. Absolutely, um, and there was a lot of asceticism in terms of for months I didn't eat very well. I mean, even when we were not on the expedition, I I lived a pretty Spartan existence in Australia when I was there. Mm. So, uh, um, but you know, well worth it. Absolutely well worth it. In fact, I I could could do with it again. Sure. Well, it's it's been some 21 years since you had the adventure. Uh, what, at what point? What was the catalyst for actually sitting down and deciding, right, it's time to write this book? Or have you been well, writing I, it I for started, 21 years? <laughs> yeah, I started it as my senior thesis in college, and and I did about 100 pages, um, and then uh, you know sort of got caught up with life and and the rest of things going on. But I've I've always actually been a writer, I and mean, I've always considered myself to be a writer, even even for years when I went without getting published. Uh, but, you know, of course, I, I did have the initial um, uh, article in Australian Geographic, and that, that was certainly a big a big boost in terms of thinking of yourself as a, as a writer. Um, and I've, I've written things for newspapers and other small magazines and things like that. So, um, but then something, you know, a book really is a a different animal altogether. I mean, it, it really takes a lot of time and effort and energy to to get something that does have a, a you know a structure that will will, will survive for 300, 300 plus pages. Um, but uh, I just I just sort of kept plodding along, <laughs> and uh, it I mean it did take a while, and then it also took a long time to to get it published. I actually had an agent in the US but um he put the book out for about 3 3 or 4 years and never got anybody uh to to buy it and then sort of at the last last ditch effort actually I sent it down to um Dick Smith and Howard Whelan uh formerly the Howard Whelan's the former editor of Australian Geographic and he uh he read it and sent it off to um his friend who's who is uh now my agent, and um, and she found an Australian publisher, you know, Picador, very quickly. It was terrific. That's wonderful. So you, your trip to the Kimberleys obviously was, you know, a, a magnificent adventure. Um, do you still think of yourself as an adventurer? You know, I do. I absolutely do, and that's that's uh, um, that's the hard part right now for me. Uh, in terms of, because I actually, you know, I have a nine-to-five job essentially, and yeah, I really think that I'm part of this experience. What it taught me was that we're not here for a very long time, and we've, we really have to do what we think we need to do um, with our lives, and uh, and not to not to play it safe, I guess. And I feel a little bit like lately I've been playing it safe. <laughs> I guess it's a hard balance too because you know responsibilities come with aging and you've got family depending on salary and so forth. So how do you you know how do you work the, the I guess there's almost like three hats here. There's the adventurer will and there's the you know the the apple will, the hard working day job will and um there's the the writer will as well and all of those things require a certain amount of time. How do you manage the balance between those those roles? Uh and I yeah, guess the, the father and the father will, your family man. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, well, it's uh, it's it's a very, um, it, you know, it. I mean, I would, was doing a lot of my writing sort of from midnight to three in the morning, um, and then I would get up, 
about 7:30 or 8 to go to work. Uh, and at the time, I just I I was excited about the project. I had lots of energy, uh, um, but uh, um, it it is a very difficult process. I I don't know how anybody gets anything written and published, but uh, some people are probably a lot better. They certainly are a lot better than I am. But um, you know, each man arrives at the, or as Ben Franklin said, each each man arrives at at uh, each stage of his life for the first time. So <laughs> I'm trying. I mean, with the publication of this book, I'm I'm thinking of myself more as a writer and adventurer again. So maybe maybe that's the that's the next direction. So I suppose it, um, the publication has given you a certain mandate, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. It really both has. for adventure and for writing. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, if I hadn't taken uh, some time back in the '90s. To actually, I went and I was living. I went back to Melamela, the little town that I mentioned in the in the book, and and was living on a, in a little hut in the, in the back there in the rainforest on this farm. And and if I hadn't done that, if I just sort of had a job or something, you know, I probably would never have written the book. So so you sort of have to take those chances. Sure, walk through though, the doors. Yeah, even though there's times when you're sitting there thinking, you know, what what is this for? <laughs> you know, no one will ever read this. So, but, uh, but it, you know, for me, at least, it's, it's certainly been well worth it. Sure. Now, um, I'd love to talk about Jeff for a bit. <laughs> he comes across sure. in your book as, the, you know, sort of the kooky wild man of the woods. Um, I, I wonder if he's not a fellow Yank, um, sort of uh, gone a bit wild in Australia. Now, it's, it's not 100% clear. There's a sort of uh, fake Canadian link for a bit. Right. He, since the, since the, coming, the, the book's come out, he's actually educated me a little bit on his life because I could never get answers from him before. But uh, I guess he is actually Canadian, um, and he's also had a British passport as well. Uh, but, you know, he, he essentially was raised in, in uh, Dana Point in California, um, but he did also spend a considerable amount of time in Kuala Lumpur and, and uh, other places like that. He's, uh, I think, New Caledonia. Uh, so he's he's had quite a varied and interesting interesting life as well, um, and he just he just fell in love with Australia uh, for for the reasons that a lot of us do. But in, in this case, I think he you know he loves uh, reptiles. He's he's a, uh, I wouldn't even call him I mean, he's a I guess I call him a professional herpetologist, although he doesn't have any professional uh, credentials. But um, he's he's that's his, his area of expertise. And Australia has a lot to offer for people who are interested in that sort of thing. For sure. We certainly have some strange reptiles here. <laughs> um, <laughs> has the publishing of the book changed your relationship with Jeff or, you know, maybe his or your self-perceptions? Well, I've certainly learned a lot more about him since the book was published. Uh, and we've been, in, we've been in a lot closer contact. Um, you know, right now he's, uh, it's, he's living on his boat. He actually just sailed over to... Uh, Catalina Island off the, off the coast of Los Angeles, and um, it's hard because he's he's in a situation where he actually uh, is you know not he was um, kicked out of Australia essentially he'd overstayed his visa so so and he just he does not feel like an American does not want to live in America um, so it's it's sort of unfortunate because he's a, he's currently sort of a person without a man without a country. Sure, or maybe a man with lots of countries, which is <laughs> well, yes, but 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 also at the same time, if you know, he's he's uh, it, he's had a 
part time getting a job and, and things like that. So sure. it, the practicalities of it are are uh, it's much it's much different. You know, I wish that uh, I mean in a way I think it was a tremendous stroke of luck that we that he and I got together. I, I was a person who didn't have really anything to do. I hadn't I hadn't been I didn't need to go back to college and I didn't I didn't feel that pressure even um for the most part. So um you know, and, and he he had plenty of times, so so we could come up with uh, expeditions like that. Yeah, uh, that's good. And um, you've had a recent? Did you get together for a bit of an adventure in Utah as well? Uh, we actually we we didn't we didn't get to Utah. We, we got to Yosemite, um, and and that was that was a few years ago. But we uh, that was quite an experience as well. We actually we were there for the for the big bushfires that were in Yosemite that actually closed down the the valley and mm. and we were we were up around a place called Lake Ireland and uh actually had put our food out uh because uh, there are black bears in Yosemite and um so we we strung our our food up and our food bag up on the, on the branch there and then couldn't find a, a sort of a tree that was small enough that a bear couldn't climb but we we uh strung our food up on the branch and then slept at the base of the tree thinking that no no black bear would we climb over us to get to our food. Well, of course, I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a black bear above my head, oh. <laughs> shimmying up the shimmying up the tree. And was able to reach out and just sort of just caught the the line that was holding the food bag and brought it down and and actually ate the whole thing. Uh, even even uh, squeezed honey and peanut butter out of these little uh, tubes that we had, and and so for three or four days we didn't have anything to eat. And uh but but we weren't we weren't worried in the slightest. It was actually it was kinda of nice. We we didn't mind we were upset that we lost our, our pancake our pancake mix, but that was about it. And then we met some other people who had their food stolen by a bear and they were panicked and they, they couldn't believe we were so uh so blase about about not having food for a couple of days. But 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 then they didn't know what we'd we'd been through. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So it's sleeping with bears is the next title I guess. <laughs> Sleeping next to bears, maybe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, that's great. So, um, yeah, swimming with crocodiles is an adventure story, but it's not just an adventure story, is it? There are quite a few underlying themes um, that you ponder, things like your own spiritual awakening, um, an ecological perspective, the beauty of nature and its fragility and so on. Do you, do you think you'll, you do want to explore some of those themes in other books or in other ways? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, it's, I mean, I think you know it's a very important. Uh, it's a very important thing to to try to arrive at the truth about about what you can understand about about the world. I mean, I think too many of us sort of get out of college, and college essentially uh, now it's it's almost um, it's almost like trade school. You know, you get out of college to to get a job, but but really initially the the point of college was to was to uh, achieve uh you know a spiritual understanding i mean and and an understanding of truth about about the about the world and your place in it and too too often now we're just not we're just going off and, and getting our job with our hedge funds or financial managers or whatever i mean people are just doing all kinds of things but they they don't really think about the about the underlying uh, reality. They've, they've never sort of gotten off track. They're, they've been on this one track for for too long, and and you just you don't get to see 
uh, th- what the reality is for other people as well. Mm. Do, do you think um, our sort of the, the current generation? I think it's why is um, you know becoming a little too practical. I, yeah, I think people need to take more chances. I really mm. do. And uh, not maybe not be quite so paranoid about um, climbing the ladder. Well, I mean, when you're when you're 20, uh, I mean, well, when I was let's see, when I was 18, of course, the idea was that you had to get to college. If you didn't get to college, oh, you're taking a year off. Well, you know, how are you going to account for that year? What's it What's it going to mean? How How is a prospective employer going to look at that? You know, then you just sort of you know now I'm well, you know I'm 40 and I think well I had tons of time and and it was well worth taking the time that I had and not you know if I had if only I hadn't been so concerned about trying to account for that time I could have just enjoyed the time and, and been learning and and um, you know a lot of my uh, my stepmother said a lot of life just happens to you and I think that's I think that's true I think people need to maybe not not plan so much or, or put themselves out of their comfort zone more often than they do sure so um, in terms of um, the American release, if we can talk, can we talk about it at all? <laughs> so a lot of the listeners, uh, this is kind of an American show, so a lot of the listeners would be wondering, how do I get my hands on this book? Well, currently it's, it's, it's not available in the U.S. I'll have to go to Australia or New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be a pretty expensive book. It'd be a great trip. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, apparently it's coming out in uh, May in the, in the U.S., that's that's really all I know about okay. it. So they just have to hang tight. Oh, I think it probably can be ordered. You can probably order it from the Macmillan website. You, you can order it from Dan Macmillan, yeah, on the Picador label. Yep. If okay. you just look up some of the crocodiles and Will Chafee, you'll you'll get the Dan Macmillan. And and do you yeah. have do you have a website about yourself? Or are you planning one? I actually yeah, swimwithcrocodiles.com. Um, uh, but it's it's a work in progress. There's there's a lot of other things on there right now. But I'm I'm uh, maybe this is the impetus I need to go home and, and work on it. That's it. That's great. So what what kinds of projects um can can we expect from you in the future? What sorts of things either are you working on now or you know wish list? What what sort of um, writing do you plan to do? Well, I'm I'm uh, currently working on two screenplays. One of them is almost done. Um, and it's a it's a commercial screenplay um, uh, about the American West, and because uh, I don't want to give too much away, but there's 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 one about trains and the American West, and then there's also a, a screenplay I'm writing about uh, Australian aviators in World War One. Um, so that's those are the two things that I'm working on currently, and then I have another nonfiction book that I'm that I'm hashing out right now, actually. This is the Sleeping with Bears one. <laughs> yeah, the Sleeping with Crocodiles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And um, is it the screenplay? Do you have a, you know, an, an idea of how those will get produced? Will you actually be involved in that? Well, that's a, that's, I mean, that's an even bigger uh, uh, gamble than, than writing a book, absolutely. I mean, not, for that to, to be produced is a long shot. But it's something... Uh, it's something I've I've been working on that I enjoy doing, and you know who knows what, what might happen. It's certainly not something you plan on in terms of oh yeah this will this will get sold. But um, you know I have a I have a very good agent, and uh, I do have some very good contacts in the in the entertainment uh, industry down in L.A. So 
So we'll see what they say. Sure. Now, I thought you mentioned that you published the article about the trip for the Australian Geographic. Was that you? You wrote it up. I thought it was Jeff. No, I, I wrote the article, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Have he, you... took, he took a lot of photographs and stuff for it. Yep. Have you ever thought about involving Australian Geo or National Geo in, in another sponsored adventure? Actually get this one paid for? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would, that would be a terrific thing. Um, you know, I'd only just, I just went back to Australia in May and um, met with, met with uh, one of the people from Australian Geographic um, there. So I'm, yeah, I'm still, still throwing ideas around. And of course, Howard Whelan is still, still very much active in, in, in all aspects of, of adventure and writing and, and producing. So uh, he's, a, he's a great contact for that sort of thing as well. Sure. I'm, I'm Dick Smith as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I'd like him to fly me on the helicopter. That'd be the, <laughs> <laughs> so the Kimberly, there's some beautiful places in there I'd like to see again. But, but um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, um, there's, there's a lot of things that are, a lot of uh, irons in the fire, as they say. Oh, that's wonderful. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for talking to us. That's about all we have time for now. Um, our well, next thank you very much. Thanks, Will. And our next guest is Howard Waldman, who will be visiting us next week to talk about his latest novel, Good Americans Go to Paris When They Die. And uh, it's quite literal in that sense. It's uh, be an interesting conversation. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.